Well, in today's passage, um, we get to see the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, now, when we talk about a testimony, that's a very churchy word. Um, and so what it, what it means is just story. And so we're getting to see the story of Nebuchadnezzar as he comes to a place of faith in the Lord. Um, and the thing about testimonies as Christians is we all really like to hear them. Um, because as I hear your story, you know what I hear in your story? I hear my story. Because, because although all of our stories are different, in many ways all of our stories are the same. Because basically here's how our testimony goes. I'm a sinner. I am guilty before God. God found me. He saved me. I placed my faith in him. I came to believe in him. I came to believe in the fact that Jesus died on the cross. He paid the punishment for sin. He rose again three days later. He defeated sin and death, and I believe that with my whole heart. And then the final part of our story is, what does our life look like after that? That's, that's basically, if you're a Christian, that's your story, right? Life without God, when we found God, and what life is like with God. And, uh, and so today we get to see uh, Nebuchadnezzar sharing his story. Now, as we've gone through Daniel, we've seen uh, kind of Nebuchadnezzar on a journey, right? So he starts off as this guy that, you know, he's telling everybody, hey, you got to tell me what my dream is and, uh, and what it means, and then, or else I'm going to kill you. Um, and out of that, what does he get? He gets a little bit of a glimpse of Daniel's God. And he's like, hey, there's something different here. He doesn't fully get it, but he's like, hey, there's something different here. But what we've, we've seen all through Daniel is Nebuchadnezzar is still really holding on to a polytheistic view. What that means is he believes in many gods. So think about like, uh, you know, Greek mythology, what the Romans believe, that kind of thing. All the different gods and their different hierarchies, that kind of deal. And that's, that's kind of where Nebuchadnezzar was. Um, and then interrupting his worldview, interrupting his view of all these gods, this one god of the Israelites kind of keeps popping in. Hey, Bruce, can you go back to the board and see if you can get my ring out? Um, yeah, and so this one god, the one true god, the god of the Israelites, the god of the Jews, the god of Daniel, keeps popping in. He keeps showing up. Um, and so with that, uh, we seen Nebuchadnezzar kind of on this journey. Well, we come to, to Daniel chapter 4, and here's where Nebuchadnezzar is in Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4 actually is written as the, the first person account of Nebuchadnezzar himself. Uh, got me all the way out. Uh, most likely Daniel uh, was the scribe that wrote this down for him. Um, but, uh, but yeah, here in Daniel chapter 4, here's what we see. King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. So already we're starting to see, wait, how he's referring to this, referring to the one true God is, he's actually kind of spot on. And he says this, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, if I just read you that part, who would you think wrote it? 
right? Like, if, I didn't, if we didn't go to Daniel, I didn't tell you where I was in the Bible, I didn't tell you this was Nebuchadnezzar, and I just read to you how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, his dominion endures from generation to generation. To me, that sounds like a psalm that David wrote, right? Like, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar here is like really, really starting to get it. And so that makes me say, okay, well, well what happened to get him to this point where he's really starting to get it? What, 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 what transpired? And that's what we get in the rest of the story here where he's telling us his story. Um, and so this part's a little bit longer, so you guys hang with me. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to read through what Nebuchadnezzar records as his story. Starting in verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. And as I lay in the bed, fancies and visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, and they, they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers came in. And I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, who was named Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom the spirit of the holy gods and I told him the dream, saying, O oh, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. So you notice here, Nebuchadnezzar still very much is, he's not identifying God as the one true God yet. Even what he sees in Daniel, he's like, hey, you have something that is from the gods. So this is kind of Nebuchadnezzar's before I came to faith part of his testimony. He's like, I'm not, he's not fully there yet, but he knows that there's something different about the one true God. The visions of my head as I lay in my bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in the bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip it of its leaves and scatter its fruit, lest the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its root in the earth, bound with a, with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. Let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me its interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him, and the king 
And it, the king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or his interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. He's saying, hey, this, this isn't a good dream. What this is saying isn't, isn't happy. The tree you saw, which, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven, was visible to the ends of the earth, whose leaves were beautiful and fruit abundant, and which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reached the heavens and your dominion to the ends of the earth because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know the heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel offers him the interpretation, but also gives him a little, little preacher segment at the end. He's like, hey, God's warning you. God's telling you what's about to come because of your sin. But here's, here's what I encourage you to do. Stop sinning. Turn to righteousness. Live the way that God would have you to live. So that the consequences might not come so quick. So that this might not happen so quickly. And so in this, we can see... And, and as I said, like, as we look at his story, we can kind of see our story, right? And one thing that we can see in Nebuchadnezzar's story that I think is true for our story as well is the fact that God warns us. God warns us. You know, we're living in our sin, we're living against him, we're living in a way that's contrary to him, and he gives us these warnings. In our men's ministry, one of the things we've been talking about is, is kind of the role in, of the Old Testament law and how the law law of God fits in with our life today as people who live under the, the, the grace of Christ, right? And, and how does that fit together? But one of the things the law does is it, it warns us. It says, hey, God created you. He created life. He probably is the one that knows best how to live it. And so he's telling us, here's how you should live it. Here's the things you should do. Here's the things you shouldn't do. What are we good at? Not listening, right? But he, he's good at telling us and graciously warning us and saying like, hey, this is coming. This is coming. The, the, what you're doing right now does not have a good result. The outcome of the road you're on is not positive. And we see these kind of warnings all through scripture. As a pastor, I've had 
far more conversations with people than I would like to have who are at that point where they didn't hear and listen to the warnings and now they're reaping the consequences and they're broken over. Um, whether that's they were living in fornication and now there's a baby on the way, whether that was substance abuse and now their health is shot, um, whether they were stealing and now they've been caught and they're facing their, the consequences of that. So many of these things that God just makes clear, like don't do this, yet we do them. And then when the consequences happen, we're like, oh. And you know what happens in almost every single one of those conversations? You know what they tell me? I knew what I was doing wasn't right. I knew it wasn't right. I knew I shouldn't have been doing this. I knew I shouldn't have been living this way. Because God had warned them. He had put things in their path to say, hey, stop doing this. And yet they went on with it anyway. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, let's jump back into his story. He's been warned here. In verse 28, it says this, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. So he made it a year from the, from the time of the dream until the time when the punishment came. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? Ouch. You know, we read that and we're like, man, there's a lot of arrogance there. But also, we're pretty removed from this, right? Um, I was reading one commentator that he said this about what Nebuchadnezzar says here. The sense of achievement that Nebuchadnezzar here expresses is severely understated compared with that expressed in his successive building inscriptions in Babylon. So as they've done archeology span and gone back in Babylon to see how, how big of a footprint did Nebuchadnezzar have, this guy's like, it was huge. The palace from which he surveyed Babylon was one of the citadels on the north side of the city. It had large courts, reception rooms, throne room, residences, and the famous hanging gardens, which was a vaulted terrace structure with the elaborate water supply for its trees and plants, apparently built by Nebuchadnezzar for his Median queen. From the palace, he would see in the distance the city's 27-kilometer um, outer double wall, which he had built. His palace stood just inside the double wall of the inner city, which was punctuated by eight gates and encircled an area of three kilometers by one kilometer with the Euphrates running through it. The palace adjoined a professional avenue um, that Nebuchadnezzar had paved with limestone and decorated with lion figures emblematic of Ishtar. Uh, this avenue entered the city through the, gate, the Ishtar gate, um, which he had decorated with dragons and bulls to commemorate some of their other gods. It continued south through the city to the most important sacred precincts to whose beautifying and development Nebuchadnezzar had contributed. So Nebuchadnezzar had built quite a kingdom. And you think about it, like, we, we know him as the one who conquered Israel, like he conquered Judah, and he, he you know, he, but what did he do? What do we see in the first chapter? His strategy was, I'm going to bring the best and the brightest from everybody I conquer and bring them to my kingdom. And why did he do that? So he could put them to work. 
And he's done that. Like his strategy has worked. He has built something that, you know, even by today's standards, if we walked into it, like we would be in awe, especially the fact they did it without any modern machinery, right? Like, I mean, this is quite an accomplishment that, that he has made. And he's saying, I have done it. What does God say? Don't get too big for your britches, buddy. Right? He, he's like, you know, that's, it is a lot that, that has happened here, but who should get the glory? That's what's on the line here. Who gets the glory? Who gets the credit? Is it Nebuchadnezzar, which he's given to himself? Or is it God, who's put him in this place and blessed him in this way? And that's what, what we're looking at here. Um, if you think what he says, well, maybe it's not that big a deal. I mean, if he's just being truthful, right? Like, what's the big deal? I mean, where do you find that line between being truthful of your accomplishments and being arrogant? Where, 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 where does that fit in, right? How do you, how do you walk that line? Well, here's what uh, Solomon had warned in Proverbs 16, 18. Do we have that on the screen? It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So Solomon warns, like, hey, you get prideful. It's going to lead to destruction. You get haughty, look how great I am. You build yourself up here, really the only place you can go from there is down. Right? Jesus taught this when he, he taught, like, hey, when you go to a banquet, don't, don't go sit yourself in the seat of, of importance. Don't seat yourself right next to the host saying, look how great I am. Seat yourself at the end of the table and let them come and say, hey, why don't you move up here? Right? But the scripture is over and over again teaching us as humans, our problem ultimately is this problem of pride. Think back to the Garden of Eden. What, what was it that, the, that Satan tempted Eve with that she and Adam bought into? It was, hey, if you eat of this tree, you're going to be as good as God. Right? You'll be like God then. What is that? Pride. Hey, you can elevate yourself. You can bring yourself up here. And if we look back in our own stories, that's probably part of our stories too, where we elevate ourselves up in pride. We elevate ourselves up and say, look how great I am. And then God comes into the picture. And in verse 31, it says this, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. And immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. And so we see here the fact that God humbles. God humbles. And we say, well, man, that's, that's, that's harsh. Like, God, God just kind of spoke in that moment, and it's just like that. A judgment came. And I want to tell you, 
that for us, it can be just like that, that judgment comes. But yet God still shows Nebuchadnezzar grace and mercy. Why? Because he didn't take his life. He left him alive to teach him a lesson, to bring him to the place that he wanted him to be. Right? That's the grace of God here. Because if God had taken him at this moment, what, what would his eternal outcome been? He would have been guilty before God for all of eternity. He would have suffered the consequences of his sin forever. But yet God shows him grace and mercy and brings him to a place where I think as far as Old Testament goes, like it's about as saved as you can get at the point that Nebuchadnezzar gets at the end of this story. Because it's pre-Jesus, pre-cross, but he gets it as much as probably anybody else in the Old Testament does. But the thing that God did with him was he took his mental health. And I don't want us to overlook that fact in today's day and age and in our culture because mental health is a major, major thing today, okay? Um, and every time I talk to it, talk about it, I usually end up hurting someone, which is never my, my intent. So if this is something that you struggle with, hear me say, I love you, I care about you, and that's why I'm speaking to this, and my intent is not to hurt you, okay? But can we all at least agree on this fact, that God, who is sovereign, is sovereign over mental health? Can we also agree to this fact? God, who is sovereign, is sovereign over physical health. And so just as he is sovereign over the way that our brains work, and here with Nebuchadnezzar, he just basically takes his brain away and makes him think that he's, he's a cow or something, and he's running around out here. He ends up with dreadlocks and major nails um, and uh, it's at least, it says seven periods of time. Many people think that was seven years that he's wandering around eating grass. He's gone completely bonkers. He's crazy. And God, that what this story is telling us is that God is sovereign over it. This was at the hand of the Lord that God said, yeah, this is going to happen. The way that, that Calvin explained it was this. He said, when men add sin to sin, God loosens his reins and allows them to destroy themselves. When men add sin to sin, God loosens his reins and allows them to destroy themselves. Here, I see God taking even a little more direct approach. He's not just pulling back and letting Nebuchadnezzar come to his own end, but he, it seems that he's speaking directly into it and saying, no, here is your punishment. Here is your consequence. And, and so as we look at that, if, this, if mental health is something that you wrestle with, something that you struggle with, I want to encourage you with this. Do what Nebuchadnezzar ends up doing and seek what it is that the Lord might be teaching you through this. Equally, if physical health is something that you wrestle with, seek what the Lord might be teaching you through this ailment, through this time, through what you're going through in your body. Because if we believe that he is truly God and he is truly in control, and he is truly sovereign over these things, then he has a purpose and he has a point in what he's doing. So seek him in that. Equally, I will say this. By all means, 
let's take advantage of the wisdom that he has given men on dealing with these things. Like with physical health, if my son were to break his arm, am I just going to sit down with my son and say, okay, okay, son, let's, let's think about what the Lord is teaching us in this moment. What do we need to learn from this? Well, maybe that's a teaching moment, but it's also a moment to get in the car and go to the hospital and get wisdom from doctors who know how to run X-ray machines and know how to set bones and wisdom from those who've learned to make casts and set these things and make them heal properly, right? This is wisdom that God has given men. And that's the physical health side. So with the mental health side, there's equally wisdom that God has given men to be able to help treat these things and take care of these things and help us through these things. So yes, seek the Lord and see what is he teaching you through this? What is it that he's leading you to? What is it that he's trying to impress in your life? But also get help, right? Like take advantage of the wisdom that he's given men to deal with these things. For some reason, a lot of times when it comes to mental health, uh, some of us, especially Christians, we wanna just spiritualize the whole thing. But I, I fully believe that there's a physical component to these things as well that can be treated and helped. And so don't, don't forsake that, okay? But also don't write off the fact that God is sovereign over it and that he could be working to teach you something through what you're going through in that moment. Okay, now that I probably offended half of you, let's move on. So Nebuchadnezzar, he goes through the time that God has allotted, what God has told him. And he says this, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to the heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. He gets it. Think about it. Think about how big a deal it is that he gets to know God. He just went through seven years of being the crazy man. He went from the biggest thing in the world, literally, like he was it, he was the stuff, he was the man, to being humbled to the point where he's crawling around looking like a hobo eating grass. And that's how far he fell. And his response coming out of this isn't to say why God, it isn't anger at God, instead it's to praise God because he realizes how great God is that God could do that. And he blesses him with this. He says, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? See, he's saying like, that's not even a question that, that I need to ask. The why question is gone. What have you done? Why did you do this, God? He's saying, no, that's not where my heart is. That's not where my mind is. I realize how great you are and I am under you. I submit to you. At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and lords sought me out and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and extol the honor of the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So Nebuchadnezzar is saying, I was prideful. I was sinful against God. And he showed how great he is by humbling me. 
by bringing me down to the place that I should be. And you know what? All glory to God. All glory to God. And Christian, I ask you, can you say that with your life? When you go through the hard things, when you go through the difficult parts of your life, when you go through those trying times, can you look at them and see where God's hand, his fingerprints were on these things and look back and be able to say, all glory to God. It was hard. It was tough. Not fun crawling around on all fours eating grass. Not desirable outcome. But all glory to God because I know more of him now. I get a bigger picture of who he is. Nebuchadnezzar gets this gift from God. He gets the gift of getting to see and know who God is and how great he is. So, I want to ask you, where are you in the story? Are you the Nebuchadnezzar who's maybe being warmed, warned, not warmed, but warned? Are you being warned right now? Hey, the road you're on is not a good road. I encourage you to seek righteousness. Now after the cross, we understand that means that we seek righteousness through Christ. He's the one that can give it to us. Through the cross, he's able to take our sin on him and give us his righteousness in, in, in our place. It's a great exchange. We get clothed with his righteousness. He takes our filthy rags. Beautiful thing. And I want to encourage you today, if you're the one that's being warned, hear that warning, come to him and say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I need you in my life. Accept that. Accept that forgiveness that he gives. Or maybe... You're the one who you've heeded the warning, you've heard the warning, but maybe you didn't really heed it. And you're in a time of suffering. You're in a time of God, God's judgment on you. I want to encourage you, seek the Lord in that time. Seek him and say, like, what, what is it that you're teaching me here, God? What, where are you? Where is your fingerprints in the midst of this thing that's going on with me? And, and it might not be that it's a direct correlation to like one sin in your life. Like it was very clear with Nebuchadnezzar. is like there's pride and then there's judgment. And it's very clear cut. Like he's like, look how great I am. God's like, no, you're not. Right? Like that was very clear in this story. But maybe in your life, it's just that you're going through this time where God is doing some stuff and it makes no sense to you. And you don't know why it's going on. But I encourage you to seek him in this time and say, Lord, what is it that you're teaching me through this? What is it that you want me to know? How do I get a bigger picture of you through the current circumstances of my life? Maybe that's where you are today. Or maybe you're, you're someone that's, that's on the other side of that, like Nebuchadnezzar, as he's writing all this, as he's given his story, and you're able to look back and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. How great is he? All glory to God. Maybe that's where you are today. And maybe you're like many of us, and parts of you are in all three areas. You're able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord, but you're also going through some tough stuff. You also still struggle with your personal sin nature. Maybe that's where you are. But I encourage you today to seek righteousness, seek the things of God. Just as Daniel encouraged Nebuchadnezzar, 
hey, seek the Lord. Live the way that he wants you to. And I'm not proposing that we can earn it all by, right, by our own good works or anything like that. Every, we all know that doesn't work. But what, we, what I am proposing is that if you've experienced the grace of Jesus on your life, live in the freedom that that gives you. The freedom to live free from sin, not the freedom to sin further. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that it relates to us. God, I, I, th- I thank you that just how honest it is with stories like this from Nebuchadnezzar with just just showing our story and the fact that we are born in sin, that we live against you, we live contrary to you, and we are in need of you. And so, Lord, thank you for sending Jesus as the one who could save us. Thank you for paving a way for us to be made right with you, for our sins to be forgiven, because you are good. You are holy and you are righteous, and there's none like you. All glory to you. And I pray all this in Christ's name.